Now, before we uh, get into the, the sermon today, we're going to be looking out of the book of Numbers. Um, that's just the fourth book into the Old Testament, if you need some help to get there. But one thing I've been uh, offering to all of you is, is being able to share your stories with the congregation. And I've received a lot of great submissions. Uh, you can do that, again, through our website. That's our, our website, slash miracles. You can do that through a written form on the back, or just talk to me, email me, and I've had you all do that in a variety of ways. But I want to highlight pretty quickly, and I hope you do justice to these stories today, because I'm going to have to go through it quickly, three of your submissions that all are on theme of what we're going through today. And so what we're seeing in our, our message today is that even when times are difficult, God is still at work. And, and our tendency is to say, God, why are you doing this to me through those difficult seasons? But the reality is when you take a step back and look at the big picture of what's going on, God is working through your difficulties, and he's providing for you and, and working for you in miraculous ways. And so the first submission uh, came from Carl and, and Karen Borg. Uh, they had transitioned uh, Carl's dad, Gene, into uh, Haven Homes recently, and there's a whole story that goes along with that. But this is another one of those times of your life I, I imagine is very difficult to make that decision. They were caring for Gene in the home and now moved him into assisted living. Uh, but through it, they had four pages of kind of step-by-step, step, here's all the miraculous ways God is working. But it, generally speaking, is that everything worked in perfect timing and it worked together beautifully. Even though Gene was experiencing some hardships at home and falling and disoriented, the right rooms opened at the right time. Uh, even things down to the hospital bed that they needed to purchase. They got one for like $100, uh, used, barely used, and everything worked together. And really what they're saying through all this is God works even in difficult times, and that, that they saw God's hand at work through this difficult journey with their dad. And Gene is still at Haven Homes uh, today in, in that assisted memory care living. But they wanted to make sure to express to you um, how much they see God moving through the difficulties. Another one is from a couple of years ago from Mary Jo Steffenhagen. And, and she lost her dad in May of 2020, her dad Jim, and is through a long uh, series of, of health issues. But you know what the world is like in May of 2020, right? And it's still like, like it today, but, but to have a sick one in the hospital, it was nearly impossible to go and see them. And it's still difficult now. But what happened that day uh, was that, that her dad, Jim, had been in, in the hospital for a while, and that day nurse happened to just check a box on a form that said now she would say that he is in the, the position of actively dying. Okay? And because of that one check mark, it allowed visitors to come in and see Jim. And, and even when she got there, the afternoon nurse said, I wouldn't have checked that box. So she says this, I truly believe the day nurse was used by God so that my prayer, that my dad would not be alone when he died, was answered. And not only did my dad know I was with him, but he shared a precious memory with me, and I got to know his final thoughts as he slipped into heaven peacefully. And it's a wonderful miracle that she could be there, even in this difficult time. Now, the last one I'll read is from Bobby McCoy. And many of you know the story, we've been praying along with it, of her cousin Jack, who was in a, a plane crash in Florida. So Jack lives in Tennessee. They're in Florida on vacation in Winter Park. And he had been a pilot for decades, both commercially and as a missionary pilot. But through this training exercise to remain certified, uh, we don't know the exact situation why, 
but he nosedived into the ground in this grove of orange trees, and it was in a, in a terrible uh, crash. And so but the first miracle here is that he survived. And what I understand is the, the first responders on the scene were not expecting to see live bodies when they saw the plane crash. And against all the odds, he and the pilot with him uh, survived the crash. The second thing is that they're in now Florida, hundreds of miles away from their home, and he's, he's not able to be transferred from this Florida hospital. And so it just so happened, right, I don't believe this is a coincidence, but it just so happened that there's a Bible camp 20 minutes away that had ties to Jack's wife's parents, and now they had this house that was just recently renovated on camp that family could stay in for free as long as they wanted. And so this allowed the wife and any family members to come down, including Ray and Bobby, to be there with Jack while he's in the hospitals. That's miracle number two. And the third was really his recovery, that through this he had, uh, I mean, there's just no place to even know where to start as a medical team. He had suffered two skull fractures, which required complete uh, reconstruction of his face. There's many stitches, finger surgeries, broken pelvis and ribs. And I mean, it's just this big list of where do we start with this, and uh, even then, there's there's some skepticism of is he going to actually pull through this? Is he going to be at the hospital for months or years or what's going on? Uh, but he was discharged six weeks after that, and has been making improvements through all that. And the, the head trauma doctor who cared for Jack said, "I've uh, gotten calls for airplane crashes, but I've never seen a patient. And and this situation I saw is something that I'd never seen before, and I'd never want to see again." It was looking so grim, but as Bobby says, truly God performed many miracles here. He prepares for us in the unknown, prepares for us, and heals the hurting and injured. And many of you had prayed for weeks, and we thank you. We praise Jesus for all he's done. Now, if you think miracles only happened in the Bible thousands of years ago, that they don't happen today, uh, you're wrong. And even among our own people, there's amazing miracles that happen. There's these countless stories. And what we learned last week is that miracles always come from a mess, right? Miracles don't come when everything's going well. Miracles come when our backs are against the wall, when we have all the odds against us, and we're in this difficult situation. And that's what we're finding here today in this miracle story of the bronze serpent. This is all the way back in Numbers. This is now when Israel is walking through the desert, Uh, This is near the end of their 40-year journey. They've kind of seen everything, right? They've seen miracles of God. There's no doubt this is God's power at work. They've seen hardships and, and, I mean, everything in between. And now we get to this point where God's power is really showcased once again. And and one thing we need to be clear with throughout this miracle, this miracle series, is if you think that miracles showcase your power, or your faith, or, or how much you might deserve a miracle, you're wrong. Right? Miracles have always been a reflection of God's power, His love, and His grace. And He works in situations for us. He works in situations even when we don't deserve it. And that's what we're going to be reading here today. That throughout this whole journey of Israel and the Exodus, they've seen God's unmistakable power. Right? Plagues. They've seen pillars of fire and smoke. They've seen this Red Sea deliverance. Manna coming from heaven every single day to provide for them their needs. And yet they go through this cycle of being rebellious against God and complaining against him. You, you might shake your heads at them, 
But the reality is that we're not much different. We have a tendency to focus on the most difficult situations and see only the problem, but not the power of God. So if you're already open there, uh, we'll, we'll read together uh, Numbers 21, verses 4 through 9. They traveled from Mount Hor along the route to the Red Sea to go around Edom. But the people grew impatient on the way. They spoke against God and against Moses and said, Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? There is no bread, there is no water, and we detest this miserable food. Then the Lord sent venomous snakes among them. They bit the people, and many Israelites died. The people came to Moses and said, We sinned when we spoke against the Lord and against you. Pray that the Lord will take the snakes away from us. So Moses prayed for the people. The Lord said to Moses, Make a snake and put it up on a pole. Anyone who is bitten can look at it and live. So Moses made a bronze snake and put it up on a pole. Then when anyone was bitten by a snake and looked at the bronze snake, they lived. Now when you read through this, it might seem kind of odd that things worked the way they worked. And the first, you know, we have three uh, specific points as we go through this miracle that really showcases what happened here is, is very similar to what's happened to other points in Israel's history. It's, it's very similar to what happens in our lives today. And it starts with the problem. And in this case, it was the discontentment of Israel. The people that God saved are now turning against him. And now last week we talked about sometimes you're in a difficult situation and it is not your fault, right? Paul and Silas were in prison and they did everything right. They were faithful to God and his ministry and yet they found themselves in a really tough situation. Well, it's the opposite this week. The difficult situation they found themselves in is because of their sin, because of their discontentment with God. And you've heard the expression that there's nothing new under the sun, right? It came from Solomon and Ecclesiastes, and it, it really showcases that we just keep doing the same problems over and over again throughout humanity. And, and sin is not really a creative thing. It's just kind of repackaged the same problem over and over again. And this situation is that, that Israel finds themselves in this cycle of rebellion, which is marked by four overarching ideas. And the first is that their hearts fall away from God. And this can come through sin or idolatry or you know, just, just disobeying God. In this case, it's this discontentment of all that God has done for them. The second part is that God would send an earthly judgment of some kind to illustrate for them the uh, power and corruption of their sin. The third is that, okay, I get it. We made a mistake. They would repent. And then the fourth would be God's deliverance. And we see all four of those things happening here in this story. But there's always more to the story than the story that you read. There's a lot of uh, pretext and backfill to understand why Israel is so uh, discontented and, and, and frustrated at this point near the end of this long journey through the desert. So I'm going to show you kind of a map here. This is not a perfect map, okay? Uh, now, I think there's one glaring error in that. I don't think they crossed the Red Sea there. I think it was in the other spot. The Red Sea is, is those kind of two tines that you see coming up from the south. Um, but I, I, this is about the only map I could find that wasn't copyrighted and wasn't just like information overload. But just take away that one part and everything else is about right. 
What I put on there is the red triangle to represent where Mount Hor was. You can see where Edom was, and then Red Sea again is the one that's down below, coming up from the south. And you see uh, where they wanted to go was Canaan. That was the promised land. And the journey that they set apart from, from Egypt, which is the starting point all the way there to the west, uh, that, that should have taken about six to eight weeks. But now they've been in the desert for 40 years. And why? Well, because this generation kept falling away from God over and over again. And so his judgment on them is this, this generation will not see the promised land. So they've, they've been wandering for a long time. All right, and now they're kind of at the finish line. You see where that triangle is, Mount Hor? They could have just gone into Canaan, all right, but, but they didn't. They were afraid of the resistance that was there. So they decided they're going to come around the other way. That other little speck of water you see up there is the Dead Sea. They're going to come across on the north side of the Dead Sea. And they had to get permission to go through Edom. Now, Edom was the descendants of Esau, which is the twin brother of the descendants of Israel, Jacob. So there's kind of some family issues going on here. They said, can we pass through? And they said, no. And like, okay, well, we have two choices. We can fight them or we can go around them. And God promised them that they would be successful in every battle they faced on the way to the promised land. They decided to ignore God and go around Edom. So they're in a situation that they've created for themselves. That's what I'm trying to explain here. This is the route they could have taken in the dotted lines. They decide to add on to this long journey and go around. They should have been mad at themselves. Now they're mad at God. And that's the real situation we find here as we start this miracle story. All right, that they spoke against God and against Moses. And what this meant is they were complaining and, and the, the, the Hebrew here means it's not like these murmurings on the side. These were loud wailings of complaining. The whole community of two million plus people were complaining against Moses and God. And they said, why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? And this is not the first time they said that. They said this over and over again. So questioning God and his protection after they've been protected many, many times. Then they say there's no bread and there's no water. Well, that's not true. God had been providing manna every single day, aside from the Sabbath, for nearly 40 years. And they said, there's, there's no food here for us. The reality is that what they're saying, we don't like what you're giving us. We'd rather have the warm and fluffy bread like we used to have and the, and the, the pots full of, stew, or full of meat. And, and they even go on to say that we detest this miserable food. They're talking again about this bread from heaven. We detest this miserable food you've given us, which means this is, this is worthless to us. And they hated and despised the most miraculous ways that God was working in their life. They're becoming discontent with their circumstances, which means they are now becoming discontented with God. And that's the lesson we all need to learn, that when you're going through difficult circumstances, it doesn't mean God is against you, right? He might be working with you through the difficult things. And he's giving them to you to strengthen you, to build your perseverance, to build your reliance on him. And the first truth I want us to walk away with this morning is that until you learn to be content, until you learn contentment, you may never recognize the miraculous way God's, God is working in your life. 
I mean, just think about it for a moment. All that they have seen and experienced as the people of God, wandering through the desert. And we read again that they had their daily provisions every single day. The pillar of fire that guided and protected them through the desert was with them every single day for 40 years. We're we're talking about like a tornado on fire, right? And they can see this. And they're saying, God, what have you ever done for me? Where have you been when I needed you the most? Everything you've done is worthless. They were so discontent with their circumstances that they were discontent with the God who had been protecting them and been providing for them. And we can fall into the same trap. Both contentment and complaining are disciplines. Okay, in every situation you have in life, you can find reasons to be content and you can find reasons to complain. The choice is yours. And the reality is that the more you complain, the better you get at it. The more that you are content, the better you get at it. And in this moment, their hearts were already decided to be discontent with whatever God was going to do in their life. They could have received the warm and fluffy bread and said, you know what? Where's the butter? They could have received all the water they want and said, where are the ice cubes? And that's how complaints work when your heart is set on discontentment. That no matter the circumstances, your mind is made up because your heart is in the wrong spot. So this was a sin of Israel. It led them away from the God who loved them and protected them. And now God sends this earthly consequence to really illustrate what's happening for them. Because if this hadn't happened, I don't think they would have realized how big of a mistake they were making. So God sent venomous snakes among them, and they bit the people, and many Israelites died. And this is a part, through our earthly eyes, we're like, okay, God, maybe that's a bit of an overreaction to what happened here. But I think this is perfectly illustrating in life what was happening in their hearts, that they, they had sinned against God, and the sin was very dangerous and deadly, not in an earthly sense, but in eternal sense. And they need to become aware of what was happening. And the serpent or the snake had, has long been the symbol of, of sin in the Bible, all the way back to the Garden of Eden, right? When, when Adam and Eve were tempted into sin, it was by the serpent, Satan, who took the form of a serpent. And and we see that sin kind of slithers around and it's dangerous and deadly and and we often don't really see it until it's too late. So God is illustrating for them what's what's happening in their lives. And quickly they kind of make the connection here. Like, ah, I get it. We made a mistake. All right, so they went to Moses and said, we sinned. They admitted this. Now, we sinned when we spoke against you and we spoke against God. And so would you pray for us that the Lord would take away these snakes from our camp? And so that's, that's what Moses did. And this becomes really the significant part of today's miracle, was this recognition and this repentance of their sin. Now, those two words that they started with are some of the most difficult for people to say. We sinned. I sinned. I made a mistake. And I think all of us struggle with that. You know, our first thought is maybe to pass it off like it's no big deal or it never happened. The next is to minimize it. 
right? Another is to maybe transfer blame to someone else. And all the way back to the garden, what happened when God confronted them in their sin? It wasn't me. God, it was the woman you gave me that made me do this. God, this is your fault that I sinned, right? And there's this moment I think you have to understand with your sin that there's personal responsibility. And there's this confession and this repentance of it and this asking of God to intercede for you, to forgive you of that. And here's what we see happening right now, this whole nation realizing the mistakes that they've made and that they prayed that they would be saved from the consequence of their sin. This is a point I'm making somewhat cautiously today. I really prayed about how to say this. And I put this first word in italics to really emphasize this, all right? So sometimes all that is necessary to move on from a mess to a miracle is to recognize your sin and repent of it. I I say sometimes because there's two dangerous thoughts when it comes to sin, and, and one of them is that your sin has no consequence. That's dangerous. The other is to think that every bad thing that happens in your life is the result of some personal sin. Okay, that's not true either. But you have to understand that maybe sometimes the position that you're in, the difficulties that you're facing, are because it's earthly consequences of the sin that you've committed. So now you have to recognize that and repent of it before God. Everybody has sinned. So what I'm saying here is is not sometimes you should repent of that sin. Okay, Always do that. But it doesn't always mean that you'll be magically delivered from the situation you're in. But sometimes you may be delivered after you repent. And that's what we see happening here. And there's this great spiritual significance to the recognition, the confession of your sin. And that we cannot outrun it. There are consequences here in this world, and sometimes you only feel a little bit of it. Sometimes you feel a lot of it. But the eternal consequences are severe. Sin leads to death, and sin that is not forgiven, and sin that is not taken from you, will follow you into eternity. You must recognize and repent of your sin. And when we do that, we see now the saving power of God. This is the part that just wows me, right? We, we test God's patience a lot of times. I, I know I certainly do. Israel certain did, certainly did. And now here they are, the 40 years into this journey, again making the same mistakes over and over again, getting themselves in a situation, asking God for forgiveness, and then he saves them. Now, it's a good thing I'm not God, because Israel wouldn't have made it 40 years in the desert. They probably wouldn't have made it four years in the desert. It would have been like shortly after the Red Sea. They were complaining 12 days after they were delivered from Egypt. And I said, you know what? I'm done. You guys are on this by yourself. But God is so loving and patient that he made a way out. He told Moses, make a snake, put it on a pole, and anyone who is bitten can look upon it and live. And so that's what he did. And as they looked upon it, and the words here, look upon, means that they're looking upon it with faith. They're understanding what was going on here. Besides it just being a snake on a pole, they understood that God was doing this, that God's work was behind it. And now they're in the situation of their sin. They don't deserve God's forgiveness and deliverance, but they prayed for it, and he did it anyway in a miraculous way. That the snake represented for them their sin. 
and they're understanding that now our sin is being broadcasted before the community, we got a problem. But God is providing a way out of it. And if we believe in him and his promises, we can be spared from the consequence of our sin. Sounds familiar, right? We can be spared from the consequence of our sin if we understand that the power of our sin is raised up before us. And if we look upon that with faith, we will be spared. This is obviously connecting us to Jesus. It's pointing us forward. And if you think that this miracle is about some magic snake on a pole, you're missing the point. We have this this tendency to look at the object that God uses for deliverance and then praise the object. And that's exactly what they did uh, many, many generations later. That in 2 Kings 18, we understand they held on to this snake and they worshipped it, worshipped it. And it wasn't until King Hezekiah came and broke it to pieces and he said, guys, it's just a piece of brass. There's the power of God behind this. This is not some mystical healing story. This is that God saves us even in the depths of our sin. That the snake that was raised in the desert represents Christ who was raised on the cross. The snake who represented the sin of this country, this nation, Jesus on the cross represents our sin. This is how it's always supposed to be. Then in 2 Corinthians 5, that God made him who knew no sin to be our sin, on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Jesus became our sin. And we look upon him with faith and realize that he is providing a way for us to be saved. We will be saved from our sin. This is no coincidence. Right? It wasn't that Jesus was on the cross like, you know what this really reminds me of? That one thing that happened back in Israel, you know, thousands of years ago. This is always the plan. And this is highlighted uh, when Jesus was speaking about it, about what he was going to do to the man Nicodemus who's, who's having a hard time. Now, many of us know John 3.16, right? How many of you could, could recite it right now? Probably went to the stride, for God so loved the world, he gave his only I feel like I was a roots leader just now. You guys all got the gold star, right? What does John 3, 14, and 15 say? Right? Okay, this is where it's amazing because this shows that this is the plan all along. John 14 and 15. This is Jesus speaking now. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. And it goes on in the verse that you all know. It's always been the saving plan of God that Jesus would be lifted on the cross. It was illustrated thousands of years prior for those unfaithful in the wilderness who sinned against God, who did not deserve his mercy and his salvation to receive salvation. And the same is given to us. Through no merit of our own is through the, the full love of God, that this becomes available to us. That anyone who looks with faith to Jesus will be saved. Jesus was raised on the cross to be our sin, and now he's raised and exalted, victorious over death and heaven. We simply look to him 
to be saved. And we're all sick. We're all bitten. And we're dying from this curse of sin. Look to Jesus and be saved. One thing I noticed in the story this time is kind of an interesting note. It's almost like this parting idea. Do you know what Israel asked Moses to pray for? The snakes would be removed. As far as we know, the snakes were never, never removed from camp. God did something different. He provided a way to survive the snakes that bit them. And I think what that thought process was, okay, whoever is bitten now is dead. They're gone. Let's forget about them. They're not dead yet. They're going to be dead soon. Can you just get the snakes out of here so the rest of us won't die? And I think that kind of mentality is saying, at some point, you're just too far gone, and it's not worth it. But God provided a different way. He said, no matter how long it's been since you've been bitten, no matter how close you are to death, how bad things are now, there's a way out. There's a way out. And that's the way it is today in our sin. No matter how far gone you feel you are, if you think there's no hope and you're all but dead, you simply look to Jesus. You look to the cross in faith, and you can be saved. We forget that often. We forget what Jesus did on the cross. And when times are tough, we simply, we simply ask God to just take the situation away from us. But we forget that God is working through the difficult situations. And in a moment here, we're going to be celebrating communion, remembering what God did for us when we were all but dead, when we didn't deserve to be saved, and yet he did it anyway. Jesus came and died for us on the cross. Communion is a time to remember what Jesus did. And if you're new here today, just a few quick things. This is something we celebrate among believers. If you have professed faith in Christ, this is for you. This is a symbolic time that we know that these represent the the body and the blood of Christ. But it's also, in, in some ways, a time that we have to actively remember and just kind of unplug ourselves from the busyness and the trials of life. And this is a time dedicated to remember all that he's done, that Jesus loved you so deeply, he became your sin so that you could be free from it. And so what we do here is just take a moment of self-reflection and silence with God. And this is a time I encourage you, if there's, if there's sin in your life that you need to recognize and repent, maybe it's the things you've done or the things that you, you haven't done that you should have, whatever it is, take a moment now and, and just ask God for forgiveness. We know that when you do that, God is faithful and just to forgive you. But take that moment, whatever it is that's in your life, or maybe it's just that you've felt far from him. Maybe you've been complaining and discontent in him. Take a moment now in your silence with God to be right with him.